This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Kimmich. Moving forward and using Gnabry now. Here is Kimmich again. It's a clever chip. It's in. boy from Paris who scored their goal. Well, so many clever players in both sides. There's nothing complicated about this. Just a, a clever clip to the far stick by Kimmich. And Coleman sees it coming all the way. Having said that, he deals with it superbly. Knows he doesn't have to get too much on it. Just direct it towards that far post. A simple, simple goal. On the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. That was Parisian Kingsley Coman scoring the only goal of the game to win Bayern Munich their sixth Champions League title. On the ball with me, Ross, on a Monday evening, along with my special guests, Des Corkill, Bob Holmes and Craig Marias. You can tweet us, as usual, BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, do subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's TFIF on video. Right then, guys. Uh, Kingsley Coleman with the only goal of the game. Bob Holmes. It was a bit of a letdown in the end. We were expecting a 5-4 spectacular, weren't we? Uh, well, you might have been. Um, <laughs> no, it was a typical final, wasn't it? Uh, it was a, a bit of an anticlimax um, after all the hype. I mean, they did look like an interesting matchup, clash of styles and personalities, cultures of clubs, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a letdown, yeah. Uh, I felt it needed an early goal. Um, if the one, the uh, Lewandowski uh, shot that hit the post, I think if that had gone in, um, it, it would have changed things dramatically. Might have favoured uh, uh, PSG a little, would have forced them onto the attack a bit more. But no. Uh, Bayern thoroughly deserved to win. They were clearly superior in every department of the game. Their high-pressing game had uh, they PSG had very little answer to that, especially as Neymar couldn't get into the game and Mbappe didn't look fit. Quite honestly, I don't think he was a hundred percent recovered from his injury. So uh, yeah, thoroughly deserved winners. And they now join Liverpool with six uh, championships and um, members of the European royalty, you would say. Yeah, yeah, and very well played. Um, Craig, what happened to Neymar and Kylian Mbappe along with Angel Di Maria? So much was touted about them before kickoff. Um, they were frustrated, I guess, weren't they? Yeah, um, uh, I, think, I think Bayern did fairly well to, to, uh, to control them. Uh, but I kind of disagree with, with what Bob said. I thought PSG were, were all right. I think what we saw in the quarterfinals and semifinals actually happened in the final. Um, just failure to convert chances. Um, we, we saw Neymar in both matches prior to the final uh, miss you know, one-on-ones and, and, and just be wasteful. Um, the same thing happened. I mean, the, the best chance of the match, I mean, you, and you can include the goal in this, um, where, was the one where, where Mbappe hit it straight to Neuer. I mean, a play of that quality, um, and regardless of his age, you know, you have to be finishing that, um, especially in the Champions League finals. And I, I, I thought 
you know, it, it was what I expected. Bayern, Bayern played with a high line, the pace of, of Di Maria, who I thought was fantastic throughout the match. Um, um, Neymar and Mbappe, you know, I always thought they had a chance to carve out opportunities. Um, and it was just a matter of, of, of taking them, uh, which, which was their problem. And, and, you know, same again, you know, they, it was something that ju they just didn't learn on. And, you know, you look back on it and, and you look at Tuchel and, you know, playing a card, not playing a cardi, well, was that a big factor? I mean, you would have banked on him to finish a couple of the chances that they created. Didn't even feature off the bench, even when they went 1-0 down, which was baffling to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they were as bad as as, as Bob made them out to be. I, I don't think Bayern were great. Um, if, if anything, I, I'll probably be a little bit more disappointed with the, the Bayern performance, just purely because um, I thought PSG matched them, um, especially, you know, I mean, we talked so much about Alfonso Davis down that left-hand side. You know, he was quiet. Gnabry was was awful, to uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, I agree. Neymar was 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 awful. He was, he was definitely off the off his game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what Bayern did really well, I thought, when they went one 0 up, they managed the game really well. Mm. They managed it. They kept the ball. They frustrated Paris Saint Germain. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, you can look back and say, yeah. From, from one nil onwards, I thought they did well, but they still conceded some some really good opportunities. And like I said, PSG were just wasteful. Yeah, well, in, in the end, um, it was a thoroughly German performance. And Manuel Neuer, Des Corkill, I know you, you speak for the goalkeepers' union. He showed what a proper number one should be in a cup final. I thought he was superb, so commanding. Yeah, a couple of points here. Firstly, isn't it lovely to see cuddly underdogs Bayern Munich beat the nasty, <laughs> nasty financial entrepreneurs of PSG? So that's good. Uh, and Bob, I normally agree with you on things football. I could not agree less with your analysis of certainly the first half because Manuel Neuer was outstanding. Uh, it wasn't the PSG missed chances that Manuel Neuer made terrific world-class saves, not spectacular saves, not ones the way you're tipping it over the bar, but making his body hugely big. That double save from Neymar was so, so important to the, uh, to, to the outcome of this game. And he was commanding, and he was dominant. Angel de Maria had a really good chance that maybe he should have buried. But I think for the... Certainly for the first 30 minutes, 35 minutes, PSG had real opportunities here to... to um, ensure that their billion dollars is well spent. That they didn't was down to a world-class goalkeeping performance by Manuel Noah because Bayern played the high line. They took the risk like that from uh, Coach Hansi. Why change? Because our way is successful. Why change to adapt to others? So he carried on playing his game, got the rewards in the second half when Bayern were able to close it down a little bit after 1-0. But Manuel Neuer deserves his uh, winner's medal more than any player on that team because PSG had that game won by the big German number one. And yet, Joffre Archer wears more gold on his neck. I can't understand that. Um, <laughs> different sport altogether. Um, Bob, um, we forget that Hansi Flick is still building this Bayern side. He only joined up in November, but they've gone, what, 21 successive victories now. Uh, they haven't lost this. In fact, they've won every single Champions League game uh, they played this season, and that's a record. Well, they've won 33 out of the 36 games in which he's been in charge, which is some record, isn't it, by any standards? That's in all games. 
They've won every game in the Champions League that they've played this season. And I think you've got a great manager there in the making. I mean, uh, he's come to it late. He's 55 years old and he's always been an assistant. Uh, but rather like, uh, well, there's a few examples. Let's go back to Bob Paisley, for example, um, taking over from a legend and uh, outdoing him almost. Um, Jürgen Lowe outdid Jürgen Klinsmann, didn't he, with Germany? I mean, this does happen. And I think that uh, Hansi Flick, you're going to see uh, a, a period of probable Bayern dominance here, marshaled by him and the decision to play Kingsley Coman yep. for his extra pace. Yep. I mean, that was a Perisic didn't have a bad game against no. Barcelona by any standards, did he? But he found himself on the bench, and what a move. I mean, uh, okay, lucky that he should get the winner, I suppose. Lucky for Flick happened to fall to him. But I think he's got to take some credit for that. And I, I agree, Bayern, uh, PSG had the chances um, early, early doors. Um, but I don't think that's always a reflection of dominance. Um, as you said, Des, uh, they took a risk with the high line. That's the way they play. They always take a risk. They give, they give other teams a chance. And uh, PSG couldn't take advantage of that. But overall, I thought they controlled the game, uh, Bayern. I thought their midfield uh, axis of uh, Thiago Alcantara. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's added a few million to his to his um, transfer. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think if Jurgen Klopp saw that, he'd be thinking, "Yeah, we we could do with this guy." And uh, Goretzka um, providing the muscle, superb, and then um, Kimmich playing out of position. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought they. Um, I thought they were superior. Um, yeah. We have to disagree on that. But, um, you know, Neuer, yes, Neuer was magnificent. I mean, he, he's six foot five, and I think he wears size 14 boots. Um, I mean, he, I'm only, the only other guy that is as good with his feet, I think, is David De Gea, or used to be as good with his feet. He's <laughs> lost it a bit now. But he was magnificent, yes. Mm. But that's a team, isn't it? You have great teams all the great teams have had great goalkeepers. Yep. I mean, you you just think back to United with Michael, Liverpool with Clements, you know, Forrest with Shilton. I mean, they've all relied on a magnificent keeper at the end at the end of the day. Any great team can be pierced at the back, and if you've got a guy like that in goal, then you know he's going to keep a clean sheet, and then the rest do the rest for you. All right, let's let's look at PSG. They've come closest they've ever come, Craig Marais, to to winning the 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 sacred prize that they they all crave. Um, what's Thomas Tuchel got to do now? Because he's got to rebuild without Thiago Silva at the back, who I understand is Chelsea bound, um, but he's a big loss. They're going to need that kind of rock at the back, aren't they? Yeah, um, they they definitely need to replace him. Let's bear in mind he's thirty six years old. Um, as well. So I think it's something that has been coming for the last couple of years. I'm sure they would have done their, their, their scouting and, and identified who, who they'd like to replace him. Um, I don't think he's got a massive rebuilding job to do, um, personally, if you ask me. Uh, if you look at the general age of that, of that squad, okay, yeah, Di Maria is touching 30 maybe, uh, but everyone else is, is relatively young. Um, and, and, you know, that squad could still go on for another two, three years. 
Um, what he does need to do is is look at his his formation and 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 tinkering and and see where he could have done better. Because, like I said, I was really surprised that they started that that final without an out and out striker. Um, for for me personally, I know Ricardi over the last you know over the quarterfinals and the semifinals wasn't fantastic, but I mean I could see what he did. Um, he needed to shore up the, the the midfield three a little bit more, uh, so he put in uh, Paredes um, to to play alongside Herrera, and yeah, did did it work? I I, I really don't know. I, I think I like Di Maria in that free role where he can run. I thought he was really good in the final though, but I think when he has that bit of freedom, you know, it works a little bit better for him. Mbappe one flank, um, Neymar the other, and and, and Icardi up front. Um, so so I think maybe tactically he'd look at himself again. But I don't think there's a massive rebuilding job. I mean, we, we all know PSG will go out and, mm. and spend some money, but it, it doesn't have to be you know a ridiculous amount. Probably just a replacement, and maybe if they're really going to stretch it, maybe another goalkeeper. But I thought Neymar was uh, was all right to be fair. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um... We've spoken a lot about the way the Champions League format's been played out this season. One-off knockout matches is like the way the old European Cup used to be. In fact, from the first round. Um, uh, Des, coming to you here, I read that the UEFA president says that they might actually revise this, have a look at it again. So there's a possibility of it happening, but money speaks at the end of the day, right? Yeah, never in a million years. That's pure PR. There's uh, too, too much at stake for the big clubs. They can't um, bear the thought of being pushed out of their, their little money tree. And therein lies a problem. I think it's been a terrific success, the one-off games. Uh, the, champ, uh, the European Cup used to be a two-legged uh, one-off game, which was important because there were one or two dubious refereeing uh, decisions going on around the world. Um, so, so the two-legged thing was great. But the idea of a knockout competition is what football truly should be about, not the big money tree that it has become, where Bayern Munich, we look at Bayern Munich, lots of kudos to them. It's wonderful to see them, but just about every player has cost serious amounts of money. Yeah, they brought the like, not, not stupid money, but serious amounts of money. And it means that you can, you can put everybody into one squad. PSG can go out and spend that stupid amount of money on, um, on Neymar. And it just is wrong for football. Football is the ultimate socialist game where it's our best 11 against your best 11. Yes, there needs to be a, a, a little bit of a... There will be some advantages, but it's gone way, way out of proportion. I've got no chance at all of stopping that, but it won't stop me protesting about it. No, it that won't. Was, I think that was wrong for Neymar as well, <laughs> going there. I mean, it's, he was unlucky. He was injured half the time. But I think he would have been better off at Barcelona, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah, he was part yeah. of a very, you know, a fantastic front three there. And now, with the other two beginning to fade, he'd be the, the king of the castle, wouldn't he? Well, that's, uh, that's essentially the reason for his move, wasn't it, Bob? Yeah, well, a, a million plus a week as well, isn't it? But wouldn't it be even better if football was egalitarian enough for him to actually still be playing in Brazil and Brazilian football to be strong as well? No, you don't agree, but that's where I'm going because Brazilian football is the poorer for him hardly appearing on Brazilian soil. All right. Oh, I do agree. I do agree. I saw Santos play when they were touring Absolutely. England. When they had Pele, Pele playing correct. for them. Correct. When they played Plymouth Argyle. There were 40,000 people there 
at Plymouth Plymouth Argyle of Division of what? Where are they now? League Two, I think. <laughs> Never two, done anything since. And they won. They beat Santos. So they're not the very greatest good night. Brazilian side. Eh? Greatest night in in uh, in their history. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but that was when Brazilian football was strong, domestically strong. All right, we're, we're going to come back in a few moments and we're going to talk about the Europa League. Stick with us. Brilliantly done. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Wonderful control and superb execution. This is On the Ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Bob Holmes, Des Corkill, Craig Marias here talking European football. Well done to Bayern Munich and all that, blah, 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 for winning the Champions League. <laughs> Friday night, Saturday morning, Sevilla 3, Inter Milan 2. None of the guys called it. Everybody said that uh, Inter would be too strong. And it didn't turn out that way, did it, Craig Marias? It didn't. I heavily backed um, Inter Milan to, to, to win this. Um, I, I just couldn't see how Sevilla could win despite their great record in this, in this competition. Um, and Romelu Lukaku, you know, played a crucial role in, in this Sevilla victory. Um, you know, <laughs> he's got on the score sheet for Inter Milan um, and then, you know, missed uh, a great chance one-on-one with the keeper, uh, which ultimately for me, turn the game because he puts that away. I think Inter Milan win that, that final. Um, a few minutes later down the other end, he scores an own goal. Um, I, 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 really, I really felt for Conte and Inter in this. I, I didn't think they were terrible, but some of the, the, the goals that were conceded in this, I, I think, you know, from especially Luke de Jong, uh, the, the two goals that he got, you know, I think, I think they could have defended that a lot better. Um, but it was a good final. <clears throat> better, better than I expected. <clears throat> it, was, it was competitive um, between the two. Um, Sevilla gave a fantastic account of themselves, and and Eva Benega, you know, we we pointed him at the start of the game or before the game, and I, I thought he he was fantastic. But um, the the decision I thought uh, to play Luke de Jong as well. I mean that that, that was. Quite a decision that was made because he's he's what, never the been Newcastle the Newcastle hero you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's the the guy who you know over the last couple of years just kind of went off the radar a little bit, um, and you know he came came over, uh, got a start um, after after the semi final heroics and approved himself. So absolutely fantastic for him and and Sevilla. What uh, what decision that was. It's I wonder in, it, what West Brom, sorry, wonder what West Brom and Newcastle fans have made of these yeah. recent games. <laughs> Nabry and, I yeah. mean, De Jong and, and Nabry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Des, it was, I guess, I, I want to say it was a romantic result that Sevilla won it, it but they, they're awesome. It's six finals on the trot. They, they get into the final, they win it. No, no nonsense. Um, a lot of credit has to go to Lopetegui because this is his side. I, I was reading that nine of the team who started joined this season. So credit to the manager who was under a cloud when he joined, wasn't he? 
Yeah, well, I think all of the credit belongs to Lopetegui. Sometimes coaches can have major influences. Once the, once the players cross the white line, there's not a lot he can do. But this is his side. This is a side, Sevilla, who uh, nobody really expected to do that well. But what he's done, let's take uh, De Jong as, a, as the example. He's used his players in the correct way. He hasn't played De Jong as a lone striker, as Newcastle did, furrowing down the channels and having to do the holder play. He's used him as an out-and-out centre-forward. And he's surrounded him with players uh, playing the ball into him or getting the ball in wide for him. And I, I disagree with Craig. I thought both of his goals uh, were excellent goals and difficult, incredibly difficult to defend. One of them, he's flung himself headlong for a diving header, got there um, to win the second ball. And his second goal is a classic Far post, centre-forward, yeah. centre, back across the goalkeeper. I think they're both really good goals and not undefendable, but I, I wouldn't point too many fingers at the, the inter-defence for that. So Lopetegui has just picked uh, the players he wants, told them to play in a certain manner. The players have gone out and done that for him. And there is the reward of 3-2 um, against a, a side. But, so Sevilla gets all this credit for being a well-run club. If you've got to change nine players from your previous team, you can't be that well run. But clearly yeah. there's a bit of stability, a little bit of belief in the coach that they've brought in. Lopetegui has got the, the redemption that uh, the Spain-Real Madrid horrors brought upon him. And I tell you what, if I'm in, I'm wearing just wearing the biggest smile and saying, hello, Real Madrid, how are you doing? Here's, here's, a, little, here's a little trophy on my, uh, on, on my mantelpiece. So, so look out for that. So yeah, credit. To him, just a, a little mention, if you can feel sorry for multi-millionaire superstars, I do feel a little bit sorry for Lukaku because he's been <laughs> immense all season. Yeah, and to is. score such a shabby own goal after, as Craig said, I don't think he missed the chance. He didn't score it. It was saved. But to have that kind of change of emotion epitomises the wonder of football. You can go from king to, uh, to, to loser Villain. in the... In the, yeah, in, the, in the twinkling of an eye. And Lukaku, I, I feel <clears> a little bit sorry for him, if you can feel sorry for millionaire footballers. If you can. If you, you know, he's, been, he's been awesome. 34 goals for Romelu Lukaku this season. Uh, that, that's some going. Uh, all is not well, though, Bob Holmes, with the Antonio Conte um, manager position. Uh, I was reading that he wants out. Upper management want him out. Um, there have been clashes throughout the season, but they've backed him. They've backed Antonio Conte in the transfer market, right? He's brought in all for what, five ex-Premier League players he wanted. They've all come in. He's got nothing to moan about, has he? Uh, well, we don't know what's going on uh, there, do we? We're not privy to the conversations with the board. It doesn't appear as if he's got much to moan about. Um, and he's, he's done very well. Um, but he's got this record of falling out with boards wherever he's been. He fell out with uh, Chelsea, and then he falls out with a team as well. He gets the team on side. I mean, he goes in, and he makes an immediate impact. I'm, I'm reading uh, Perlo's book at the moment, and he raves about Conte and the impact he made. He impressed him right from the word go. And he's obviously got something. Look at his record. It's, uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, except in Europe. I think he's just been a little bit unlucky in Europe. But um, to, to win uh, titles like he has and to come to the Premier League and win with uh, Chelsea in the first season when they weren't expected to do that much, um, I think that says a lot about his management skills. 
Um, but somehow, he's probably a little bit too intense for his own good. He does end up falling out with some of those players who previously were eating out of his hand, and he falls out with the board because he's just too demanding a character. So it's hard to say. I mean, you'd think he deserves another season at least. I mean, he's on, on a contract for an, another season at least. So they would be a bit daft to get rid of him um, when you've got Juventus within touching distance. I mean, they only failed by one point. Uh, and that was mainly down to Ronaldo. Uh, so, yeah, it would be a bold move by Inter to, to get rid of him. Um, I mean, how do you replace a guy like that? You know, um, I get almost guaranteed success uh, just because he's a bit of a hothead. I think they, they should just let him carry on. Let him do what he does best. Interfere. The, the directors shouldn't interfere. Let the manager run the club. You know who said that, don't you? <laughs> That'd be a start. <laughs> <laughs> um, That'd be a first. You know, so I, I think, um, I, I, I think if they, they would lose him at their peril. Okay. Um, uh, Inter. They, they, they can consider themselves unfortunate in both these tournaments, their own Serie A and this. They came within a whisker of a, a memorable double. And uh, that's not a bad debut season for a, a new manager, is it? No, no. Uh, but Conte's got his eyes on the Man United job, Craig Marias. How, how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I wouldn't look too too much into those rumours. I think um, I'll be safe for, for for another six months. I think uh, before someone else becomes available. But do, do you uh, right, think, do, do you think Conte's yeah. football is dull? I think that's that's what Inter fans. That's the only gripe I was reading uh, the ones in English that they say he's, he's he plays Mourinho style football. Uh, I disagree. Actually, um, I've, I've watched Inter a fair bit this season. I think. They're a team that likes to attack. They like to go and get goals. Um, they, they've got a fantastic front duo in uh, in Martinez and, and Lukaku. Uh, I thought Martinez, by the way, was very disappointing in the final and didn't really turn up along similarly to, to Mbappe and Neymar. Um, but I, if you look throughout that team, I mean, he's, he comes with a formation, same, same formation he played at Chelsea, three at the back, five uh, with, with the two wing backs, and, and you got people like Brozovic in there. Um, I think I think it's a fair attacking team. Um, you know, for for your striker to score thirty four goals tr- uh, throughout the season, I think Martinez has got another twenty, um, and, and then you add the, the the midfielders chipping in, Sanchez and things like that. Um, they, they've got a good tally of goals. So so no, I disagree. I don't think it's boring football, um, but like like every Italian, you know, he knows how to win a game. So yeah. you know, if he's two 0 up, he's not going to go for the third. You know, he, he'll shut up shop and. And, and go slightly on the defensive. Um, but, but I think, you know, in, in this area, I think he wouldn't be the only one that plays like that. Um, the only thing about this this whole Inter and, and is Conte staying, is he going, is the fact that, you know, I think, and this goes for a lot of top clubs, that someone of the calibre of, of Mauricio Pochettino is still available. And as long as their top managers are available and not at clubs, uh, this is what's going to happen. You know, I, I think boards will be tempted to to look at where they where they are and and like Bob said you know I, I think he, he definitely deserves another season there you know like you said mm. whisk away from Juve whisk away from European title um, but as long as there's someone like Pochettino um, lurking in the shadows looking for a top job um, at, at a big club 
you know, that will always be the case. Managers, uh, sorry, board of, board of directors will always be looking for that better option. Not yeah. doesn't always work. <clears throat> doesn't always work because Pochettino will come in. He'll probably have to rebuild the squad again, um, get rid of a few players who, who will probably just come in for the next year. So there's no continuity. But um, uh, Conte definitely deserves another, uh, at least another year there. All right. Brilliant stuff. We're going for another break. We're going to talk about the MSL. That means Des speaking a lot. Next. But what a chance that was right on the stroke of our time. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Lovely football. Speed of that passage of play. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Bob Holmes, Des Corkill and Craig Marias here on this lovely Monday evening. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, um, we've got a YouTube channel. Subscribe, please, please, please. It's TFIF on video. You've seen our award-winning video so far, in inverted commas. <laughs> Featuring the guys, of course. Uh, MSL, the Malaysian <laughs> Super League, is back. It returned over the weekend. Just the one match, though, to make up the round four of games. Des Kill. it was PJ City nil, Tringanu two, played behind closed doors. How was it? Yeah, the CIMB League of Super Malaysia, it's given its proper moniker, uh, came back uh, behind closed doors at a beautiful pitch. It's got to be said, the PJ pitch is absolutely beautiful because nobody's played on it for six months. We've had 160 days since uh, uh, the, the last match and the, the restart of this one. And Tranganu have catapulted themselves right into the title chase. Tell you what, it's getting really interesting. They won 2-0, Dominic De Silva scoring two goals. Powerful, strong uh, player. Both well-taken goals after through balls. Uh, they survived a, a fairly torrid opening 20 minutes from PJ. Thereafter, although PJ had more of the ball, Tringano looked relatively comfortable. Now then, it moves them within three points of Johor. But Johor have still got to play Pahang. That's a, a game coming up next week. They've got to go to Tringano. Then, then they play Perak. And they've also got to play Solangor. So anyone who's thinking that the league, ah, it's over, Johor have already won it. They've won the last six. They're bound to win uh, a seventh in a row. It's far from that. There's four, uh, four teams very much in the title race. And uh, Tringanu looked so, so good against PJ City. Always a, a, a strong opponent. They'll get in your faces. They'll make life difficult. And um, Tringanu mm, looked very impressive. Craig Marias. Ah, it's over. Johor going to win this seventh in a row. I mean, <laughs> it's a done deal. It's no, um, it's not. Yeah, go on. No, go on, no, go on. Yeah, it's it's not much as a done deal uh, as as some would think. Um, as Des pointed out, you know they've still got some tough fixtures to go. Um, a lot of teams around them have improved tremendously this season in terms of signings. Um, we only have to look closer to home uh, at Slavo. Um, I, I think they'll be up there really pushing JDT all the way. Uh, Trungani have... Uh, it's you know, at the moment, Slangor. Yeah, but I mean, come on, it's, it's still early in, isn't it? Um, I, I think with Satya, the experience that he brings in, um, obviously they, they strengthened massively during, during the summer. Uh, not summer, but during, during the start of the season. Um, and and they, they're going to be up there. Um, but I, I do like the look at this Trungani side. Dominic De Silva, I mean, what a second goal that was. Uh, the, the finish, absolute class. 
Um, and I think if you see Nafuzi's uh, reaction to that, you know, he was just in awe of it as well. Um, they've got a good side. I, so the, the big thing about about these teams is is whether they can sustain this kind of consistency throughout the season. And that's always been the case. Um, maybe towards the end of the season, certain teams faltering due to, um, you know, a lot of games in a row, not much squad rotation. Maybe this break has been good for a few of those teams you know, to, to, to let these players um, kind of recharge or, or, or whatever you want to call it. Because, I mean, we all know the squad and the depth that JDT has. Um, you know, they, they, they could effectively play their second team in this league and, and still do very, very well. Um, but once the, uh, you know, once the, the, the uh, AFC competition kicks in yeah. um, and, you know, that, that that's when things will, will hot up a little bit. I, I still think JT will have too much, but I don't think it's going to be by a, a massive margin or, or as straightforward as we think. I think they'll be pushed very, very closely. There's season. a really important change in the fixtures as well because the international games were postponed. The league was really very, very congested and there were maybe two games between days. It's changed now. All of the league games are on weekends. And so every team has got a chance to recuperate, to train, to practice. And I think if, it, if, it's, if you're going game after game after game, that plays into days. JDT's hands. Mm. Now it's once every week. It's proper, proper football, proper preparation time. The travelling isn't as intense. And I think that will help the likes of Perak and Salango uh, and Tringano uh, and even perhaps Pahang, who had a couple of wins uh, uh, be- before the, the break. And even Kedder, now they've paid uh, some of their wages to their players. <laughs> yeah, they, this, this is interesting. It's, it's a fascinating time. Um, Johor are setting a standard and the teams have got an opportunity in this sprint league because they're only playing one round of games. There's seven more games to go. It's a sprint league. And I think teams have got a chance to actually make a mark here. Des, Des, sorry, you mentioned Perot. Do you reckon they're, they're going to be in the mix? Well, I, I was do. just going to say that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Leandro kicking Johor all <laughs> over the pitch down at Iskander because he's had six months of pent-up emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Leandro, if, so long as he doesn't get an early booking, which changes yeah. the way he plays, he going down to Johor, I tell you, must must tune in. The games are on Unify. That one is going to be worth it because if Perak can get a draw out of that, it changes the whole complexion of the game. Just a, a thing on broadcast, we've got a couple of games per week coming on TV9 on, on Mediacore. The rest, uh, all games are live on our main sponsors at Unify TV. You, you do have to subscribe. But if there's one game, one game, you really must see, it's Johor versus Perak. And that comes in a couple of weeks' time. Now, Des, just before I, I, I let you leave you off this subject, um, you, you said it's a, it's a seven-game sprint. They only play each other once. How is it decided, home or away? Is it, is it computer? Is it, how, how, how did you decide that? So what they did was uh, the, the league is normally split up into to, to two groups. And so one, uh, a number of teams have more home games than away. So yeah. they've just kept the original schedule of games. So that's how it's done. So uh, there's, no be, there's been no manipulation since the COVID breakdown. They, we, they, they, uh, the, uh, the competitions team have done a, a really good job because there's a, been a lot of variables to take into account. But they've gone with the original selection. And so I think this, again, like the, like the COVID uh, Champions League and Europa League format, mm. I think this is going to be terrific. And I tell you what, the Malaysia Cup, Piala Malaysia, when that kicks in, that's a straight be- knockout from the round of 16. Yeah. That's going to be dying. Just, but there's, just, just, just going on that, right? It's good for the other teams, isn't it? I mean, when you have the straight seven games, 
it's easier for the other teams to, to, to pick up. But, you know, when, when you look at, look back on it, you know, the home and away, some teams really play better when, when they're obviously on their own, own turf. I know it's still behind closed doors, but, you know, home advantage is so important. So if there are certain teams that are not getting as many home games as the others, do you reckon that plays a little part in it as well? Possibly, yes. I think Johor are one of the teams who've got six home games compared to five in, in the 11 matches overall. But, uh, but so, so Perak and Selangor have got to go down to Iskander. It's a beautiful playing surface. So both teams have got the opportunity to, to try and play on the pitch. And I think Perak and Selangor have got to go down with the attitude of, hey, this is a cup final. We've really got to take it to Johor and try and minimise that home advantage. Yes, even in uh, empty stadiums, home advantage does tell because of the the comfort. Johor have got this great psychology thing uh, in the away team dressing room where they've got a sign said, you could have been playing for Johor. It's just a little (laughs) psychological thing, which which is really good. Really, I, I love it a bit. Um, Shankly-esque. So, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, home advantage does tell. But it, 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 good teams, good teams can play in difficult environments. I bet the water. It's a very, uh, very different scenario to the supposed two-horse race at the start between uh, Johor and Selangor, isn't it? The way this is turning out, hmm. uh, partly down to COVID, of course, partly down to Selangor's failure to crack any uh, any eggs at the beginning of the season but uh, yeah I mean I think it is uh, encouraging really and uh, you compare it to the Champions League I mean we've had the doom and gloom of the lockdown and yet we, football has managed to come back in a different format admittedly but it's managed to be very exciting. I mean, somewhat contrived in, in many ways with the sound, the fake crowd sounds and, and all that and the, you know, uh, knockout, sudden death matches. But it's got through. It just shows the strength, the innate strength of the game. That even in this situation, this crisis, which has killed off many leagues and many sports, let's face it, but football has still bounced back not just in Europe, but it looks like doing so in Malaysia too. So it really, really is a a great victory for the sport, I feel. Brilliant. Brilliantly said. Uh, Okay, uh, Football Matters, back right after this. (laughs) And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that black lives matter. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Two goal lead, a picture for goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Bob Holmes, Des Corkill, Craig Marias. Looking forward, well, we can only look forward so far. Uh, coming up at the weekend is the curtain raiser to the English Premier League season. I know, we're just done with the Champions League, right? It's weird. Uh, Liverpool take on Arsenal at a deserted Wembley Stadium. And we're not going to give you team news or anything like that, but we're going to look at the the individual teams. Um, Bob Holmes, Liverpool are in Austria. Uh, They played Stuttgart at the weekend in in a friendly. I believe they've got uh, Leipzig lined up on Tuesday. They won 3-0. By all accounts, looking at uh, the team Jurgen Klopp put out, it was a pretty strong starting eleven. The champions look like they're just continuing where they left off. Uh, yeah, well, 
It's uh, a bit uh, hard to say, isn't it? I think one or two Liverpool fans are just a little bit worried that they haven't strengthened um, that much. I mean, it sounds strange. You've, you've just won the league by a mile and you, you're worried because you haven't strengthened. But that's because everybody else is strengthening. And uh, even Arsenal are, are buying players um, and buying reasonably well, I think. Um, there's a feeling that maybe Liverpool, they've been fairly fortunate with injuries in the last couple of seasons, especially for the front three, um, that maybe they need another striker um, and possibly a midfielder, hence the link with uh, Thiago. Um, so, so that, uh, when, you, when you don't buy, it's like you're, you're standing still somehow and you're allowing other teams to catch you up because they are going to get better. Um, the, other, the other challenges, Man City, I mean, they've got all the money in the world and, and they're, they're going to spend it. So I, I, I don't think they're going to win nine games, uh, lose nine games next season either. Uh, so Liverpool have, have uh, sitting on their laurels a bit, but Klopp knows what he's doing. And they've got the continuity. So really, I think if they can stay fit, and it's, it is the same players, they're still going to be fairly hard to beat. Mm. Okay. I'm going to come to you, Des, because spending money and Liverpool FC, love to know your thoughts on this. Do, do, I mean, there's a, there's a link with Thiago. Apparently, player and club both interested. He would improve that Liverpool side, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, th- I think he would. Uh, any, any increase in expenditure will be paid for by the Philippa Coutinho bonus um, winning the Champions League money, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rather nice. Um, but uh, interestingly, um, Ryan Brewster has been added to the first team squad and there's a big call. He even scored on Tuesday as well. Yeah, and he's, he scored a lot of goals for Swansea as they made it into the playoffs. And so he's genuinely being considered as a signing. Um, there's um, talk that Gini uh, Monaldon might be leaving. We hope not because he's such an important player. Costas is that left-back position. Grujic has come back after a really good season as well where he's added something into the midfield. And uh, yes, you do need to improve. You do need to tinker and uh, tweak every, every um, winning team. But Jurgen Klopp, he's, he's stated that he wants to develop within the club. So he's going to try and give the Neko Williamses, he's going to try and give the Curtis Joneses and the Ryan Brewsters a chance to really step up. So long as he doesn't lose his senior players and he can keep them as hungry as they currently are, uh, you add uh, Thiago as um, as the midfield replacement, perhaps for uh, uh, James Milner as he gradually begins to start into his coaching, then Liverpool are tweaking in the right way. It's not all about big money moves. I keep saying that. And Jurgen Klopp, again, I think seems to be uh, showing in the right direction. If there's a need for a big money move, he'll, he'll do it. I'm sure he will. But I don't think he thinks there's a need for a big money move for Liverpool to stay at the top or near the top of the tree. Mm. Uh, Craig Marias, this proper team building going on at, at Anfield uh, under Jurgen Klopp here. Just like Sir Alex used to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, linking Klopp to the big man. Nah, um, like I said, you know, um, you know, we're just touching on on, on signings. I, I totally agree with Des. Um, you know, there there will be calls to, to go in and invest in you know big big money signing in, in terms of a striker, but um, I just don't see the need to. Um, I, I really don't. I, I like the continuity. Um, that 
I think Brewster is a fantastic prospect. They've got Minamino to play into the squad. Well, yeah, Minamino came in, in in January, never really gelled in yet, but understandably, it's it's, it's not. Uh, not everyone can be a Bruno Fernandes and slot in just like that. Um, but um, Nicely added. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I expected a bit more of a reaction from Des, to be honest. He um, wasn't listening. We didn't get enough penalties. <laughs> get enough penalties to, to see if Minamino could convert. Uh, uh, but Fernandez, yeah. Fernandez is going to sort out Maguire's penalty in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but Brewster, um, uh, I really rate. You know, there's a lot of lot of talk about him prior to his injury. I mean, I think, I think they got him from Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, when he was no, about he, 16, he's 17. won the World Cup. I mean, he looks the yeah. real deal, right? Yeah, I mean, he he is a big prospect. It, it took a while for him to get back to, to his full fitness and sharpness. Uh, did that so successfully. It's with, like a with better Kenzie Michael Owen coming on the scene. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he's got that, he's got that predatory issue. He yeah, knows where exactly. the back of the net is, which is what I think Liverpool lack, if you ask me. I don't think Div Okarigi is the answer to that. I think he he's, he's one of those where, you know, he likes to drop off the front line, play out wide and, and kind of drift in Thierry on restart. But... If you're talking about uh, like in the box player, someone to finish the chances that this Liverpool team will create, I do think Brewster is a lot different to anything that Liverpool have. So it, right. it, it's really up to Klopp if he gives him a chance this season or he decides, look, his education is better so, um, going out on loan again. But if I was if I was Klopp, uh, I'd, I'd definitely keep him. Okay. Uh, Liverpool play RB Leipzig on Tuesday in Austria and it's live on Astro Supersport, Liverpool fans. So... Catch it there. Uh, their opponents, Arsenal, next weekend at Wembley. Arsenal are strengthening, as you mentioned, Bob Holmes. Gabriel Marquez, I believe, the Lille Brazilian centre-back from Lille, is about to join for 30 million euros. Um, they do like doing business with Lille because they, they bought uh, Pepe. Uh, Nicola Pepe there, didn't they, for 70-odd million. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, they were rather generous to Lille, weren't they, with that uh, with that fee? Yeah, not a bad player, Pepe, but seventy million, a um, little bit over the top, I think. Um, yeah, I think any central defender that Arsenal sign, uh, Arsenal fans have got to be optimistic. They, they've <laughs> got to think that he's he's better than than what they've got. I mean, this has been their weakness since Arsene Wenger was there. Never mind since he left. Um, he had this this problem with centre backs. He was picking Eastern European lampposts and all sorts of people from <laughs> France that you'd never heard of and never heard of since. Um, so uh, yeah, that's been their Achilles' heel. I think Arteta. He seems a very very organised guy. Yeah. I mean, you only got to look at him. Somehow he oozes authority. He's a quietly spoken guy. He's not bombastic at all. But he seems to be in command, and mm. the players are respecting that. And you wonder, had he been at Man City, at, uh, at uh, Pep's right hand this season, would they have lost nine matches? You know, I think they missed him. Um, so I, th- I think you've got a real top manager in the making there. And anybody he signs has got to be uh, well-researched. But I have to add that they've sacked 55 uh, low-paid staff to fund these transfers. Well, Well, they're not not funding them, are they? I mean, it is ridiculous. (laughs) No, I say that sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to 
you've only got to have one guy sell one player and you you fund these 55 people for the next five years i mean that's how imbalanced it is it's an absolute outrage but this is what is going on at arsenal i know arsenal fans themselves are very upset about this mm. even the players are upset yeah. they they signed an agreement in during covid to take a pay cut partly to ensure that these low-paid workers wouldn't be sacked what, yeah. the, what have they done? They've sacked them. So okay. that's, uh, you, you've got to hold that PR disaster for, yeah, a Absolutely. PR disaster. All right, yeah. very quickly. Des, what's the Mikel Arteta project got to yield uh, at the end of next season for Arsenal? I think progress. Um, uh, get, get closer into the, um, to the top two. Uh, I, I, we, we hear of so many wonder players coming out of France at this latest fella. Gabriel was meant to be solving everything, like Pepe was going to be solving everything, like Lacazette was meant to solve everything. Uh, so long as he can get them organised, quite rightly, as Bob says, um, he, he does seem to have the trust of the of the management. I think William's probably a very good attacking uh, uh, option for them. Immoral though this all is, I cannot talk about professional football without mentioning the immorality of the ridiculous money on board, the 55 um, staff losing out for literally what would have been three months' work of, uh, of, of William. But talk about the football. And uh, Arsenal, I think, have got to get closer because they're a big club um, with, with, with a wonderful facility. And if and when crowds come back, hopefully uh, by the start of 2021, uh, they, they want to be in a position where they are competing. Maybe not good enough to win the, 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 win the title, to really compete with uh, Liverpool and Man City, but he's got to get them competing. And um, I, I'm, with, I'm with Bob. I think he's, uh, he's very organised. He's very he's disciplined. Way, and, yeah, it looks that way. But we've said that about many coaches in the past. True. All right, brilliant stuff. Many thanks then to Bob Holmes, to Des Corkill, and to Craig Marias. Uh, you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening. See you next Monday. Bye now. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On the Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.